0: Well, what is up, Brad fans? Thank you for tuning in. Um, And I hope that you've already subscribed, wherever you get in your pods, uh, commented, left a rating, a review, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I hope that you're following the show at 2Brad4U on Twitter and Instagram. Um, This episode is all virus. All virus. Brad and I break down some new news out of the... Ebola situation out of the Ebola world, um, kind of an interesting development going on there, and then we go uh, coronavirus. So we tried to, I tried to sort of summarize, talk about the differences in the types of tests that are going to be so important as we move forward with opening up and dealing with the the next phase of this uh, pandemic. So that's the diagnostic tests and the antibody tests. Hopefully that makes sense. Really stretched our our um, immunology knowledge there, um, and then we just kind of talked about opening up. What we're seeing in our countries, respective countries, UK, uh, Germany, uh, and you know, got kind of a little personal with our feelings about how we feel about opening up. Are we scared? What's the you know what's the mood? What do we think uh, we should be doing moving forward? That kind of thing. Um, so a little less data driven, but uh, hopefully interesting. Uh, Nonetheless, yeah, other than that, I think that's everything for me. So, like I said, follow us on our channels, comment, leave us a review, subscribe. That would all help a lot. All right, with that, let's get to the episode. All right, welcome back, Brad fans. You're back with... Your two favorite brads, me, of course, here in Germany, and my British counterpart over there in the lovely, what is it, Cambridgeshire?
1: Cambridgeshire, lovely, yeah. Flat, rural. That's humid. All there is to say about it. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant in Cambridgeshire because I'm not a great cyclist, but I go out on my bike and I feel like i win the Tour de France. And then I take my bike somewhere where there's a mild incline. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way I could, you know, even compete on any level. So
0: well you got to increase your doping well obviously yeah i mean i know you're already dope i'm just saying you got to do it more you mean i'm dope as in i'm cool or dope as in i drug myself <laughs> or both we've just alienated anyone listening under the age of 27 i don't know <laughs> hey. what does it mean am i dope am I- does that mean i'm cool kids <laughs> yo what's going on so woke of you, Flash. Painful. So woke of you. I
1: don't even know. <laughs> so don't know if that is the right time to use that phrase, but I've I've heard the youth bandit around and I thought, well, you know, I'm old, but I look young, so let's give it a go.
0: This is just a couple of dope woke dudes here yeah. chatting about science. That's that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And I've got no idea what dope or woke mean, but
1: I have a little bit of an idea about science. So hence we're here.
0: That's right. And you're going to start it off. You're going I to am. kick it off with, uh, you know, probably the most frequent segment on the show, possibly our only segment. I'm using yeah, quotes yeah, there. I think you're right, actually. But, um, uh,
1: I, sorry, I, I looked because I just saw a parrot fly by my window. <laughs> and <laughs> Cambridgeshire, let me just, you know, to anyone listening outside of the UK, you're, Cambridgeshire is not renowned for its parrots. How it would...
0: somebody left their cage door open yeah okay
1: um yeah we're gonna do the segment, and i i don't know for what reason normally this is your segment flash but it's it's fallen to me this week which i'm i'm happy about don't get me wrong but it just felt a little bit odd putting your shoes on i'm not gonna lie well it was a test okay well you know i Let's see how you do i slipped on your size what you probably a size 10 or 11 aren't you i would have
0: thought Ooh, I can't remember oh, what we're are you like forty like
1: five in Europe.
0: Yeah, 43, 44, okay. I think so. They would yeah. be a
1: little bit tight for me, but right. I'll give it a go. So yeah, Ebola. Um, well, there's two parts to this story. Really, flash. So the Ebola update. The Ebola update. So um, there had been the outbreak that's been ongoing in the Ecuador Providence province of uh, Northwest. Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, mm-hmm. it was the 10th outbreak. Um, and it was actually just about to be declared over. There've been no new cases since the 27th of April. Oh, so close. Um, and actually in that region, there has been no cases. What has happened is another outbreak has happened in um, another part of the Congo. Sorry, backtrack, hit rewind. The 10th outbreak uh, was in, um, a different province altogether. It was in the no, North Kivu, 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 South Kivu yeah. and Ituri. Yeah. The new outbreak is in the Equator province, which is in the Northwest of the country. Uh, they've had 12 confirmed or suspected cases, um, in the last few days. Um, but interestingly, it's a different, it seems to be a different viral strain to the one in the 10th outbreak. Um, yeah, the one that's just about to be declared over. So, Obviously, there's panic stations a little bit. So the, the last outbreak is the biggest outbreak since records began in the in the DRC. So there's just short of three and a half thousand cases during that um, from August 2018 up until April 27th this year. Um, so now they've had these 12 new cases, so they're worried that this is going to be the spark that lights, you know, the bushfire type thing. So they're throwing everything they can at it to try and contain it. Um, but they don't know where the outbreak has come from because as i said it's a new uh, new virus strain while that's going on there's actually been another outbreak in Uganda so three people there have um, had a suspected or confirmed case um, there so again they're trying to jump on that while they can and try and stop it from running out of control so really i did not hear about that one yeah that was uh, on the 11th of june that announcement came out so um yeah
0: breaking news.
1: Yeah. Well, not like, you know, we're six days in, but, um, yeah, it'll be potentially, it sounds like the Ebola segment isn't gonna go away. I think after the last update we gave, we, we thought we were gonna put this one to bed for a little while, but it sounds like it might be back. So
0: crazy, right? I mean, okay. So we had the ongoing one that we had been talking about that was the biggest, the second biggest since the big one. In 2014 to 2016 yeah the West African outbreak um, then you get this one that's kind of been going what since like 2018 yeah. it's been yeah. rolling yeah. you know more or less in Congo and they've mostly kept it in Congo right like it's been basically in the Congo like it hasn't the the one in 2016 spread to these different countries three different countries I think this one has been there, and there was all those, you know, we talked about this on episodes past, all the fears about the spread because it was in a zone with unrest. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You're know, on a border region, and there was a big city next to it. And so, I mean, as devastating as it was, it felt like it could have been worse, right? And then the case start going down, and we're feeling good about it, then coronavirus, and then it's like, oh, this one's not over. Right. So are this we now have another one this 11th the 11th outbreak yeah um is when we heard the reports when we were talking about okay the one the 10th outbreak is dying down but now we're getting new cases was that just to be clear was that were were those new cases are they now the the new outbreak or is the 10th outbreak still ongoing that's what i'm not clear about so
1: excuse me so the 10th outbreak was due to be declared over i think they've held off doing that until they totally work out that there's not a link between the two. Yeah, right. Um, But the latest news that I'd seen said that they believe it is now a different strain, so they don't believe it is related. Um, Right. So I think they are ready now to declare the 10th outbreak over, but the 11th now starting. So the the 12 cases so far are potentially going to be the 11th outbreak.
0: Right. Insane. Uh, and I did see that report that it's like, it looks like it's a different strain. So it's, you know, and I guess if they can't find, but the thing is like, they would be looking for a link in the people, right? Contact tracing, which we always talk about with outbreaks, contact tracing. Yeah. Um, they're looking for a link between who traveled from areas of the 10th outbreak to where this new one is. And if they can't find that, it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't exist. And the strain difference, I don't know off the top of my head, um, you know, how, how big of a difference in, you know, they mark the strains, you know, viruses mutate all the time. And a certain level of mutation in a virus is you're still, they're still going to be a class, they're still going to classify it as the same strain, you have to meet a threshold of mutations before they call it a different strain. Right. And for every virus, I think it's different. For for every group of viruses, it's different. And it's, to be honest, I think it's kind of arbitrary too, right? Like we're just – we're – like we as humans are just looking at this and being like, well, these are the lines that we're putting in, you know, which we kind of do with all species of things. But it's easier to do, obviously, with like chickens and people. But, you know, viruses is a little more difficult to do. Um, so I don't – you know, maybe – Maybe there is a link. Maybe there is not some unknown link and it's just like, you know, it's mutated or that strain has been cir- circulating in the area of the 10th outbreak and that it was never identified and now it's moving on to this other one. Who knows? But if it isn't, if it if it really is just another chance happening that's led to this new outbreak, what does that tell us about what is going on with ebola in africa because now we're having now it seems like we i mean we talked about this since since the big one in 2016 where it's like is this going to be the new norm is this going to be the new where this just keeps cropping up like have we reached a point where contact between bats you know i think we've confirmed that bats basically are the, are responsible. And bats get, are getting such a bad rap. Yeah, right, man. <laughs> that, that, people are just bats getting. are the
1: new rats. They're the new fleet. They're the new,
0: you know, or mosquitoes. Right, like right. mosquitoes were the worst. Right, malaria and everything else. And it's like, man, people, bats. You gotta chill. People are gonna start coming for you. Yeah, they're yeah. gonna start looking at like you know, if they didn't eat so many mosquitoes, people would already be like, what are we doing with these things? Well, and
1: maybe it all comes back to mosquito because of that.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah. we gotta you know we need the bats to eat the mosquitoes um but no that's like it's crazy and then now there's one in uganda and, and we don't you know we don't know where that one has come from no that again could be a travel associated with the congo we don't know i'm my geography in that region is pretty bad so i don't know if they border each other and
1: that's actually, they do border each other. So, yes. Okay. Uh, so,
0: it could be a spillover.
1: Uh, yeah. And again, it's in the northwest. So, it's where the outbreak is, the 10th outbreak is just finishing. So, it's now just over the border. So,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. That potentially be one to watch. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see in Uganda how it's managed any differently to the DRC and whether it spreads or or not. But I think you're right. You know, the, the key phrase of coronavirus now is the, the new normal, isn't it? And that's the thing. Is it going to be a case that we're never going to see Ebola go away? You know, I know there's, you know, there's been the new vaccine that's been recently approved in in Europe and stuff. So you know, maybe once the vaccination program rolls out, maybe we will see a decline. But for the time being, is the new organs? You know, we are going to see the sporadic outbreaks, and we just have to jump on, on over it. I think the only positive, and there was a little bit of talk about it in the the research that I did, but it didn't go into a great deal of um, detail. Was so the last patient in the tenth outbreak was discharged in the middle of May, but they've not declared it over yet. But they're actually then starting to talk about because of the measures that are being put in place globally, not just in the DRC for coronavirus. Actually, will that slow the spread anyway of Ebola or whatever because of the social distancing and whatever? Now I don't I don't think they're being as strict as some countries in the way that they've implemented it. Um, but it'll be. Yeah, I, think I don't know
0: what the measures are like in Africa. Just from reports and stuff that I've seen, it's not, not
1: well. And I, well, and I think it's also hard to trace, in it? Because I think you know, track and trace, and the testing there is is not on a par with some of the other countries. But I think that'll be, as we do future Ebola updates, that maybe is something that we should tie in and and see if there you know there is a link between coronavirus mm-hmm. numbers and how they're going up compared to Ebola numbers. But.
0: Yeah yeah and i mean yeah it's interesting i'm just trying to think about the transmission modes of the two diseases and and you know ebola is obviously way harder to catch so you would think if there's like the social distancing measures and stuff like that in place for um, a respiratory infection ebola should be you know, yeah. should be no problem. I mean, you'll still get household. I guess household transmission is still, and family transmission is still a big uh, part of Ebola. Um, and so if people are, you know, you're living in a house with 10 people, that's your family. You're not social distancing amongst those people. So those right. people could also get sick. And, you know, we've talked about the funeral, you know, doing funerals and stuff and just healthcare workers and how much they're affected with Ebola and stuff. But I did read that in this new, uh, outbreak, they are, healthcare workers are getting the vaccine right now. Right. So, you know, maybe that, maybe that does, you know, um, prevent this from getting big because this will be the first one then where the vaccine is available from the get-go.
1: Yeah, that's true actually. So it will be interesting how quick, if they roll it out at all and how quickly they roll it out and what their piece with it. So I didn't have a chance to dig into that you know, if I, if I'm keeping hold of the reins early, of the Ebola update, then I'll take it on off the next time. If not, then I'm going to throw that over the wall to you. But,
0: uh, well, yeah, we should take it. We should follow that because it will be, I think it is now. Yeah. The first time that the vaccine is available and I'm, and I, like I said, I just briefly read before we start before we hit record that the, the healthcare workers are getting it. So see how that, um, stops or, you know, reduces spread. Um, but yeah, and to me, it's just fascinating that, like, a potentially not another one, like, what are the chances, you know, and that's what it seems like, is that the chances of getting, um, you know, a spontaneous outbreak are increasing. That's what it looks like if you're you're seeing these, you know, based on 30 years ago. So what is that difference? What, you know, we always, you know, say these things like, well, climate change can be driving these things. Uh, deforestation, people moving into areas, you know, coming into more contact with, with um, wildlife, stuff like that. There's clearly something going on. And can, can you pinpoint one factor? Probably not. But I don't know, it's intriguing to me and kind of, you know, terrifying in the same way. I mean, Ebola is not coming to Europe anytime soon. It's not coming to, you know, out of Africa anytime soon. But it's that doesn't you know make it not important and not scary for the people that are there. And if that's one that keeps popping up, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah,
1: totally. Well,
0: that's the Ebola update. That's the Ebola update in
1: a, in a nutshell, bigger nutshell than probably it was going to be, but it was good to chat. And as I said, one that we'll definitely follow up on, because I, I think, I think it's going to, even if the outbreak doesn't grow and I hope it doesn't, I think it's gonna be an interesting one to watch now with you know the virus control measures that are being put in around the place and mm-hmm. the vaccine mm-hmm. stuff. so
0: mm-hmm.
1: anyway flash talking of one virus let's talk about another virus
0: yeah the virus the virus that everyone's talking about yeah. this is we're doing we're doing all virus this episode all virus all the time
1: well i've heard it's the best way to go viral so <laughs>
0: There you go. Throwing yeah. around some terms that the young people use again. Hey. That should be the, that's the theme of this episode.
1: Yeah. I'm time <laughs> with the youth.
0: <laughs> and the hippity hoppity and the whatnot and all the, oh, yeah. you know, cool things going on.
1: Yeah. I've got some high tops that I pop on when I, you know, bust radical. Some moves. Yeah. That's the way I run. radical.
0: Yeah, totally. All right. Yeah. On to the coronavirus. So, we wanted to touch on this, you know, we'd done a couple episodes, done a couple things, you know, not you know, keeping our distance, keeping our social distance from Corona just to give everybody a break and stuff. But we thought we would revisit it again um, as kind of, you know, a Corona update, let's say countries are starting to open up you know we're we're seeing that in uh, Germany for sure yeah in the US although did the US ever really close down I don't wow know that, I that is a very good question we'll come onto that in a minute uh the UK for sure you guys have had a, a pretty pretty harsh uh, stay in, indoors the last couple months um and Europe you know in general but as with this as we're moving out of this phase, you know, it's important, I think, to remember that this isn't over, you know, in a lot of places, it feels like it's over, it's not over. Um, And it's not the time to get complacent. And we'll talk about easing the measures and how we feel about that and what the sort of measures are in our respective countries uh, going forward. But a big part of how we manage this thing is going to be testing, you know, and we've heard about it from the beginning of this output, testing, 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 we need testing. Without it, you don't know who's got it. Without knowing who's got it, you can't do the contract tracing to see who they might have spread it to, all of that. So this is, you know, testing is going to be a big, big thing. And we've kind of touched on it briefly in other episodes where we've said in passing, you know, there's this type of testing and there's this type of testing. So I thought I could go into a bit more detail on you know the what types of testing are out there and where we're kind of at with them and what the pros and cons i guess of of each of them are so um put together a brief brief uh you know summary i guess rundown of these things and really what it comes down to is that there's two major tests that we're going to need look going forward and that's what they call uh, nucleic acid tests and antigen tests. So both of these, well, any test really, and there's a third, there's actually a third, or sorry, I, nucleic acid tests, there's antigen tests, and then there's serological tests. So the two wow. big ones that, that are gonna be mostly used and that you're gonna hear about the most going forward are nucleic acid tests and the serological tests. The antigen tests, I don't know as much about them, um, and I don't think they're as used uh, in terms of managing an outbreak and getting information on uh, how the disease works. But so basically,
1: the, the antigen yep. test is the nasal swab, isn't it? That's
0: yeah. So an antigen test um, is it's looking for the things on the virus that the immune system would recognize so parts of the virus that the immune system would recognize, and you can develop a test that finds those. So antigens we hear about are the things that our antibodies, our body's immune system, component of the immune system, the antibodies, which we've all heard about. Antibodies seek out antigens, and they do so in a way that's like specific. So a specific antibody will be designed to find a specific antigen on a virus a bacteria a toxin whatever antigen basically just means something on a foreign entity coming into your body that the immune system can recognize right yeah so that's an antigen test and i don't know a lot about them other than you know that's it you know that's what they're looking for um so it's a type of it would be a type of test to show that you have uh the virus in your body, you know, Um, but I don't think they're as used as these other ones as the nucleic acid test. So the nucleic acid test is really kind of like the not gonna say the gold standard, but it's what's used the most to determine if you have virus in your body right now. So this is the diagnostic test to say, Do you have the disease? Um, And this is done by what nucleic acids are the things that make up DNA, RNA, all these things. Um, So these tests look for that. And the way they do it, they take a swab. And then in that swab, there might be a little bit of virus RNA. In this case, coronaviruses are RNA viruses. So they're made up of RNA, which is just related to DNA, but just slightly different. So what you have to do then is you have to get you know find that RNA in the in the in the sample, replicate it, um, turn it you know reverse transcribe it as they call uh, into DNA and then replicate that a bunch so that it's detectable. It's doesn't matter that that level of specificity in the explanation doesn't matter if you're not sure what the differences between RNA, DNA, and all that stuff are. Basically, it takes a bit of time. You know, at, at a minimum, two two to three hours. Uh, and anywhere up to 12 hours, uh, and then in terms of, you know, how your lab lab is working and stuff, you can get the results in like two to three days, or in some places the reporting is taking weeks and stuff. And that's because you have to do this process of there's minute amounts of, you know, RNA in this sample, you have to, in the lab, isolate that out of the sample, replicate it flip it back over into DNA, replicate it again. And, and it's, it's kind of complicated um, lab process. Um, and we, we do this all the time. Like this is now, you know, a very common procedure. Uh, so we can do it. It's not like it's a new technology or anything, but it just, it takes a while. Um, and in order to get a good, you know, in order to get a reliable result, it depends on the quality of the of the sample, you know, it depends on the viral load. So we talk about viral load, which is really just like, how much virus is in there, like, if you were to break it down, it's like viral particles per milliliter or per micrometer, not milliliter, that would be way too big micrometer. You know, all of these things, you know, how well your your lab staff is, you know, do they know how to, you know, really handle these specimens, because you got to keep them free from contamination? You got to keep them at right temperatures all this kind of stuff right so there's a lot of things that can go wrong along the way in those processes so what you end up happening is you can get a lot of uh false negatives in this so if you mess up any one of these steps and even if just like the, the you know you have to add all these different enzymes and stuff to the test in order to replicate the dna all this what if your what if your enzymes are bad, you know, what if they've been left out of the fridge too long, like there's all of these things. And that was actually some of the things that you know, we heard about in the US where they were having, you know, a problem with their test, yeah. the, where they didn't use the WHO one, and they wanted to go with their own tests and stuff. That was a prop. That was what happened when they found out that their tests weren't working. It was because the reagents were spoiled, like the reagents were were, were off. So, you know, so, so when I
1: so last weekend, so Nine ten days ago, I um, I ended up having a, a swab test, an antigen test, um, because I'd signed up for a clinical trial and I'd reported. You report your symptoms every day, and then it triggers, um, you know, follow up if needed. So I, you know, I'd recorded one day that I hadn't slept very well, and next day I recorded that I felt tired, which you know, the one normally follows the other. Um, and like ten minutes later, I got an email saying, "Please come for a test." And I was like, "But I don't, you know, I haven't got a cough, I haven't got a fever." Um, But, you know, I'll I'll go for the test and actually it just coincided with a friend of mine that I'd socially distanced from the previous day, had actually started to come down with cough type symptoms. So I was like, well, actually, I would love to have a test anyway. Um, (laughs) So, and the process was really interesting. Maybe come on to the process in a bit, but what was interesting for me is actually the people doing it were students doing the Mm -hmm. actual test. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I came home and started digging into it, um, one of the... Academ- Immunology academics in Bristol actually were saying that they believe that the rate of false negatives is around about twenty percent, which is huge. Yeah, be- because of the people doing the testing, they've had training, but they're not they're not medical professionals. So they were saying yeah. that obviously the test isn't always one hundred percent, and you know may or may not be shedding or have the antigen present at the time. But they think the biggest issue is actually the the method of testing. Um, you know, as opposed to doing the serological tests and things, you know, which is a bit more definitive. But yeah, sorry, just want to interject because based on personal experience, I I dug into it a little bit So, I oh, I kind of know what he's talking
0: about here. Yeah. Well, in the the nucleic acid test, so I'm taking this little tidbit here, this stat or, you know, piece of data from a, uh, I think it was a science translational medicine paper. Obviously, we'll link it on the show notes and stuff. But you know, in looking at other studies um, or a combination of studies uh, for these nucleic acid tests, the rate of false negatives can be up to, yeah, roughly 30% of patients. And that can range from 10 to 40, they've seen in different studies. So 10% to 40% false negatives, which is not great. I no. mean it's what we got and like i said in a, well, in a in a in an experienced lab that knows how to handle the samples that knows what they're doing and stuff you can that number probably comes down to the 10 you know that you see which is still not great but it's really this you know finding the virus you know yeah. rna in the body and being able to replicate it is sort of the definitive kind of way of saying okay yeah. the virus is in your body right now therefore we're de- we're deeming you to have to have it uh interesting though interesting interestingly though you
1: okay
0: (laughs) yeah this might be the maybe the one or two beers (laughs) um the uh the the real like gold standard of saying like do you have replicating virus in your body because this is the other thing right like you can have virus in your body and be like okay we've deemed him positive him or her positive but that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that it's actively you know replicating in your cells that you're spreading it that kind of thing right like you could catch someone at the end of their course of illness and it's just sort of like residual viral particles left over in, in the in the body right um the gold standard is they take that sample and they actually Put it into lab culture cells, and see if it survives. And so then then you can say, okay, this person had active, you know, virus replicating in the, in their body. Um, but anyway, that's not. That's a little just a little tidbit. Um. So yeah, this nucleic acid test. This is the one that, the diagnostic test that is mostly used, and it's going to be used to find people who have have the virus so that we can. Isolate them treat them and then spread out and do contact tracing from them, right? Yeah, that's that and the thing with any of these tests is You've probably heard about Sensitivity specificity. We've mentioned now false negatives You can also get false positives and so these are the sort of standards that people are trying to get to you're trying to maximize sensitivity and specificity and minimize the false uh, negatives and positives because that really messes with how you deal with an, an outbreak. So sensitivity we can think about as fi- uh, a positive test in somebody that has the disease. So the the more sensitive your test is, the more likely you are to find your for your test to be positive for someone that actually has it. Specificity is you know how likely is a negative test coming from a healthy individuals yeah. so how, how 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 often your negative is actually negative and then the other terms that might get thrown around is negative predict predictive value which is basically the chance that a person with a negative test is truly disease-free and positive predictive value the chance that a person with a positive test is truly positive positive. Uh, so those are the things we look at and so from there we can move to the serological tests because these these right now, have problems with both of these measures. Um, and we're hearing a lot about uh, the antibody, the antibody test and, oh, well, if you've gotten an antibody test and you have the antibodies, that means, you're, that means you're immune or you have resistance. And, you know, people have thrown around these ideas of like, oh, well, you can get an immunology passport and we'll let those people go back to work versus you're not and all of these things. And it's just there's a bit of issue with that so serological tests these so-called antibody tests basically look for anything in the immune system that would react to the to the virus so there's different tests for different things so a lot of times we're talking about antibodies so we're looking for uh, specific antibodies that as i mentioned before are designed to lock on to SARS-CoV-2 antigens But you can also have serological tests that look at other immune cells. And you could say, okay, these immune cells are elevated. That's likely that there's something going on or whatever. But the antibody ones are good because they're very specific to the the pathogen that you're looking for. So if you know what the specific antibody for the pathogen is, you can look at it and you could say, okay, within, you know, whatever it is, percentage of confidence, this antibody is, is only going to react to this virus or this strain of virus. Now, there is some what they call cross reactivity. So, for example, um, the SARS-1 virus and the yeah. SARS-2 virus are related enough that the antibodies might be similar enough that the test would pick up both don't think that's a huge huge issue because i don't think there's a lot of people walking around with sars1 <laughs> antibodies You'd hope the not. outbreak yeah the the outbreak wasn't that big and a lot of people died from that so don't think there's a lot of sars1 antibodies going around that would trip the test you know that would flip the test positive when in fact it's negative um we should note that it's the same for the nucleic acid test because when we talk about they they use these things to find the RNA and flip it back to DNA and then amplify it, you need to have a target of a specific sequence of that RNA that you're looking for. So if a virus, um, different strains of a virus or related viruses are very similar, that sequence of RNA that you're looking at might, you know, might be similar enough that the test is going to pick up both. But anyway, so that's how that works. So the antibodies that we're really kind of looking at or are interested in or get get tested for a lot are called IgG or IgM antibodies. Um, And so a brief bit about antibodies here, because the immune system is incredibly complicated. And I asked Brad before the podcast how (laughs) his immunology was, and he said flaky at best. And mine is Maybe, you know, a step up from flaky, I'll say brittle, but also not good.
1: Hey, I heard of IgG. I've heard of IgM. So, you know, I I feel as if maybe I undersold myself on flaky.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. So antibodies, basically, they're produced by what we call B cells, and there's different classes of antibodies. Um, And as we've mentioned now a couple of times, antibodies are designed to lock on to a specific viral, bacterial, whatever target, right? Um, and then the different classes of antibodies, this IgG versus IgM, they do different things. So IgG is a very common, uh, it makes up like the most of your antibodies. So the the biggest proportion of your antibodies are IgG antibodies, and they'll lock on to um, the different pathogens and sort of neutralize them. So they'll either... Um, kill them right away or block them from being able to do to lock to other cells that kind of thing uh, igm antibodies are they will flag that there's a their their target is in the system and they'll start to ramp up um, other immune cells to come deal with the situation and basically set this cascade in motion of of different things um when I did the in conversation episode with uh, Constance Finney, she kind of gave a a rundown a bit of of the immune system and stuff too. We talked about that. So you can check that out. Um, But basically, yeah, it's like different antibodies do different things. Some of them signal and tell other cells, hey, you need to, we need a lot of you. So start replicating, start dividing so we can get a lot of you going. Other ones just like you know, tag on to tag on to the virus, and you know, shine like a beacon, so that the the you know cells called natural killer cells can come in, right. and they'll anything that's that's blinking with this antibody, they'll come in and just swoop in and destroy, you know, all these kind of things. But IgG and IgM are the ones that we look for because IgM gives you like they're they're some of the first to start, so you can get them sort of earlier on in your in in your infection, and they signal that like. Things are going on, things are happening. And IgG, like I said, is, is all the ones that actually kind of provide this protective thing. So, I, you know, I, this is all again, like I said, brittle knowledge of immunology. So, I may be mi- mixing up some of the specifics here and there, but I think IgG are the ones that you would look for in terms of saying we have lasting immunity. Like, if you, you would look for those because they're the ones that are doing all this, like, you know, killing and neutralizing and stuff. And they are the most, you know, they make up the most of your antibodies. Um, So that's why you're, you want to look for those ones. Um, Where do we go now? Now, so for the test, unlike the, um, the diagnostic test, this isn't a good way of showing whether you have the disease now, because your immune system needs time to, mount the response right yeah. so you really to get a good antibody response and like be able to like really capture these things in a blood test or something you need to wait some days. so um they're saying that for patients with covid uh in order to mount an antibody response it's usually between day 10 and 21 after infection so so basically it's more of a test of you've been exposed to it as opposed to i can have it now it. Yeah, I mean, you could be still be in that window where you currently have it and your immune system is going, but, you know, that's kind of a harder estimation to make. And uh, detection of, of mild cases can take even longer. So like four weeks or more before you have these antibodies. And there's a small number of cases where people don't have the antibodies at all. They're not detectable, at least anyway, during the time scales of the of the studies that have looked at this. Um so these tests are really good. They can get accuracies of uh, like up to 100% when samples are taken 20 days post-infection, um, getting this from a information page on the European Center for Disease Control. Um, but samples that are taken earlier than that aren't as good because the body could still be building up a response. Um, again, there's the question of co- cross-reactivity. Um, if the two viruses are related enough that the antibodies could light up both tests. Um, and this leads to uh, the major problems that we talked about of false positives and false negatives. So you see that a lot. We talked about n- nucleic acid test. There's a, an issue with false negatives, not so much with false positives. But here we do get both. You get false positives and false negatives. And you can see how that would be bad for you know both the person who's getting the test if they're told they don't have it or didn't have it. When they actually do, uh, and more so being told you do have it or did have it, and not actually having had it. So not only does it screw up the data that we would use in order to try and, you know, make estimations and make moves about how we're going to open up, how we're going to, you know, do we have this herd immunity level, all this kind of stuff. Um, it could also put somebody at a, at a false sense of security. You know, so it's uh, it's not good well and the other
1: thing with this is and you touched on it earlier right, the immunology immunological passports as far as i'm aware i know there's studies ongoing but i've not seen the, the data yet to show actually you can't be reinfected and get it back how long does that immunity get conferred for um i, I think they've shown that you're not shedding once you you know once the antibodies are there you know and the viruses i think they've said out to 21 days post the first symptoms and you're not shedding But I think there's that whole piece around, well, actually, as you said, you you test for it, the antibodies are there, but what does that, you know, you know what that means for you if you're not showing symptoms, brilliant, but are you likely to be reinfected again? And if so, how long?
0: Yeah, um, and that's the thing that we just, that, we'll get to that because we just don't know uh, is the answer. Now, there was um, a health reporter for the New York Times, uh, that I listened to on the New York Times podcast. Um, so obviously he's a well-respected health and uh, medicine reporter. Uh, and he was saying that, you know, the official scientific narrative is that we don't know. We don't know what the answers to that are. But because they were finding the IgG, IgM antibodies, it indicates like in, in other diseases, those are the ones that usually give you the long-lasting protective effect. Right. So people are encouraged by that finding, but you still can't say for certain whether that's true or not. Um, but he even quoted some sort of unnamed sources, you know, doctors that he knows that are acting on that assumption that they've had it, they've been exposed, they have the antibodies. So they're, you know, acting as though, but let's reiterate here that, you shouldn't do that because we don't know. And WHO guidelines, every every you know, European CDC CDC is all going to tell you, you know, still maintain all of your protective measures because we just don't know. Um, and at the moment, these tests have problems. You know, we have some tests out there that are good, but there's just a flood of tests onto the market. That's the other thing that I think we should mention is that with all of these tests. There's different companies offering different tests. So it's not like it's one test that everybody uses. You know, they're all using the same science. They're all using the same idea, but they have different chemistry uh, in order to find these antibodies and bind them and, you know, allow you to visualize that or detect it in some manner. Like there's, there's different ways you can do that. Um, so the concept is the same, but everybody kind of does it differently. And so you have all of these companies that usually these things are done, you know, they're made for research, right? So when it's not life and death on, on, on the line, um, and now you have to do it for a medical clinical setting, the standards of what you can get right and wrong is way, way different. Yeah. Um, and it didn't help that the FDA in mid-March loosened its standards and allowed companies to sell antibody tests without submitting prior clinical evidence that they worked. Uh, And then they eventually changed that in mid-April, I think. And now they have to mandate this, companies have to show this proof of efficacy. But a bunch of tests went out there that Nobody even really knew what the what the false positive rate was, what the false negative uh, well, rate we, was. We had
1: a similar thing in the UK because the government here spent, I think it was 16 million pounds on antibody tests from China, uh, and then when they put them through the validation procedures, they were in no way accurate. So yeah. what you know, they they just didn't meet the criteria for for safe and efficient testing. So you know. it it has amazed me that all these pop-up centers have popped up both for the antigen test and now for the antibody test we're starting to see them as as well but yeah i I think the point you just made is really important flash what degree of validation and testing has gone on to show that these tests are accurate because an inaccurate test is more dangerous
0: yeah 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 and like i said these aren't the ones that are going to tell us that are going to inform our Contact tracing, isolation procedures, that kind of thing. But these things are going to be really, really important in terms of, you know, uh, understanding how many people in the population may have been exposed. Uh, they can still inform on, you know, what areas of the country are experiencing an outbreak, how far that outbreak has reached. You know, like what's the reach of that outbreak? This kind of thing. They're still really important tests. And of course, they're going to help us uh, understand what what the resistance level is. You know, like what what that is. Um, so yeah, they're an important thing, uh, and we're not there yet. So like I you know I've talked to some people that are saying, oh well you know these antibody tests are showing already that like a third of of, of people have it and never even noticed it. So you know, and they're using this to justify well, why are we even doing this lockdown? It's not that big of a deal because all these more people have it and they weren't even sick. So really less people are getting sick. And, uh, or, you know, we're we're already almost at herd immunity and stuff. And it's like, we're just, we're not even there. We're not even there. These things aren't that reliable yet. Um, And so then this moves to the longevity of the antibody response. We don't know how long that antibody response lasts. Um, Even if you had like, let's say we got a perfect test and we could say, you have the antibodies, you don't. Uh, We don't know how long that antibody response lasts. Um, In other coronaviruses, uh, it can last from 12 to 52 weeks from the onset of symptoms. Um, Some studies from, again, the European CDC uh, page that I was looking at says that the SARS-CoV-2, IgM and IgG antibody levels may remain over the course of seven weeks. Um, at least in 80% of the cases they've seen up until day 49, uh, SARS one patients. So related strain of the, of, of, coronavirus, uh, the patients were shown to maintain IgG antibodies for two years. Um, but this is this, your level of antibodies can be affected by a lot of different things. Uh, your age, how much virus you were exposed to, how sick you got all of these things, so just having antibodies doesn't even necessarily mean that it's providing resistance, you know, how many anti of those, what's the concentration of antibodies uh, that you need in order to be protected? How long are those going to last? You know, all of these things. Um, so then the question of does reinfection happen? Well, we just don't know. Uh, two monkeys were given this is a joke. Yeah. Two monkeys this walked is... into a lab, <laughs> one coughed on the other one. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it started is just oh hold on flash is going to tell a joke halfway through his his picture yeah yeah no it'll be a nursery rhyme in years to come two monkeys two rhesus monkeys coughing in a lab one (laughs) One got the other got sad (laughs) yours are much better yeah (laughs) no so they gave two rhesus monkeys uh sars-2 um let it run its course Uh, and then after two weeks that when they weren't exhibiting any more symptoms uh, they re-exposed them and those monkeys didn't get it but I mean this is a sample size of two and in monkeys so who knows and like I said timing of when you get re-exposed would matter Is your is your immune system waning at that point or is it still robust? Like we just there's so many things that we don't know. So the the point of all this moving forward is just that you're going to hear a lot about testing and the need for testing. And this is absolutely true. We need that. And hopefully our lockdown measures in many countries have avoided the worst um, and we're fearing a second wave in the fall. That's now the talk, you know, that when the weather gets cold again, that we could see a second wave in the time if we've bought ourselves some time and the summer months are good this is what we should be working on is getting both of these tests the nucleic acid test and the serological tests get them good get a good version of them that you can work and that you can scale up because that's the thing you need you know you got to produce the chemicals to do these things the reagents to do these things so this is what we need to be focused on. And, um, we're going to need both of those, both the nucleic acid and the serological tests, ideally you're going to want to be running these in parallel. The first one, the nucleic acid to identify, isolate, treat sick patients. Uh, also to find the pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic patients. So people who right, have yeah. the virus in them, but they aren't exhibiting symptoms. But and, could be shut spreading it. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the thing is we we need to we need to know who those people are so we can get that data of of just yeah. understanding are they spreading who's spreading when how much virus do you have to have in your body before you're spreading all this kind of stuff what's the level of asymptomatic people and are they spreading the who went through a little you know another hiccup that you know conspiracy theorists are going to just use to talk about how shitty the who is but they said well we don't you know asymptomatic patients might be very rare in spreading but then they had to walk that back because it was like a misstatement or whatever. And it's like, we just don't know. Um, and then it's also going to help us. Those nucleic acid tests will also help us just see infection rates across populations. You know, just how many people, what proportion of the population is infected? Is that growing? Is it not growing? Uh, and then the sero the the serological tests, the antibody tests are going to find the individuals that have this Antibody, this potential immunity, and we're going to need to see how long that lasts. So, obviously, this is also going to help with vaccine development. You know, if you can see which antibodies are being produced, you can then, you know, test your vaccines against that. Is my vaccine producing those antibodies? And when we're going to have to see, like we've just been talking about, what level of antibodies do you need to be protected? How long do we make them last? That's going to inform, you know, Is the vaccine producing that level of antibodies? Is it inducing that level of antibodies? And do we need multiple doses of the vaccine? When do you need your boosters? All that kind of stuff. So you're gonna wanna be doing these things in parallel. And unfortunately, because this is a new disease with these serological tests, we don't have the, what they call longitudinal data. So we don't have data sets of the same person for three years, four years, five years, right. six yeah. years, you know, so you can really see, okay, this person had coronavirus in 2019. And in, we checked them again in in 2020, and in 2021 and in 2022 and 2023, and we see how the antibody levels change, are they still there? Is it still at the threshold that we deem would make you would give you protection, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of countries have made strides on testing and testing is absolutely key and our diagnostic testing like we said when done with a lab that knows what they're doing and they got their kits right and stuff like that false negative is an issue but it's pretty good you know it's pretty good and it's where we should be moving towards but the serological tests aren't there yet and this is really going to you know help us figure out what we do moving forward so there's, there's positive steps being made, but we're not there yet. So when you're hearing all this stuff about testing and whatnot, be encouraged that people are working on it. But at the moment we can't rely too, too much on some of these, especially the serological tests. From what I can see, the, the data there is still a little, still a little fuzzy. And we're still working to find the best test. And there is groups, there's like a consortium of people, including the WHO and the, Um, a group in Geneva and uh, the Infectious Disease Association of America that have got together to sort of run through all the tests and say which ones are working, which ones aren't, and they're going to try and sort out what ones we should be going with and then make those recommendations available to governments and countries all over the world. All right. That was my testing spiel. That was a long one. I kind of blacked out there
1: for most of it, but... No, and I think, and we can obviously move on to the the next piece in a minute, but yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, since I got tested last weekend, I started to delve into it a little bit, and um, I know we're going to come on to pieces like it at the moment, but we, the UK, hasn't fully implemented its track and trace system yet. So, right, um, they've hired, I think, 20,000 tracers, so people that will contact people, but the app that they've developed in the UK government have gone away from like the Google and the Apple app or basis mm. app. They decided to build their own. They're testing it on the Isle of Wight at the moment. Um, but it's just not been rolled out enough at the moment. So the, you know, it, it needs to be a two pronged attack. You know, I think they've in the UK, at least they've, they've come under such fire, heavy fire for not being able to test enough when they said they could. Um, so they've really thrown the weight and the, a lot of money and resources into getting the testing there especially the anti-gen test, so the test for whether you currently have it or not, um, but they haven't thrown so much into the antibody test. I know Roche in the UK, or Roche have developed a test that's now been approved in the UK for antibodies. Um, and you know, obviously both those tests and the track and trace system, once it's up and running, will be pivotal, but I know, you know like countries like South Korea where Big Brother is watching, have implemented a track and trace system based on CCTV surveillance and facial recognition it's really qua yeah, it is creepy, but it's also quashed, you know, the second wave of the virus, you know, in its footsteps, which is really interesting. So,
0: yeah. we could know, do a whole know. episode on this and maybe we should. Oh, definitely. Is yeah. the, um, the apps because Germany just released its app as well. Um, and I'm torn as to what, what to do with that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing, but it with all with all contact tracing methods it's based on testing you, yeah, know, if exactly. you don't have a test you don't know who to trace you don't know who to who to who to contact and who to trace so that's the thing and then well let's move then now to you know the systems that are in place you mentioned that the uk just hired a bunch of people to do contact tracing Germany's the same they're hiring a hundred thousand you know people to fan out across the country and form these teams. And you mentioned for your clinical study that you were part of, it's students and students are doing a lot of this work. A lot of medical students are getting signed up to or volunteering or being hired to do contact tracing, because as you know, we lift the restrictions and people start going out um, and, and doing things, we need a, a system of, of, Catching the you know the embers before they burst into wildfires and, can, and containing yeah. that that's the name of the game moving forward. Um, uh, so I know Germany's got an emergency brake system for our for our loosening of the restrictions where it's like if you get if they find fifty cases in a hundred thousand people in an area over seven days. Boom! You're back in lockdown. Right. So, okay. in any week, uh, if you have fifty cases found in a hundred thousand people living in a you know geographic area, I don't know how big that geographic area is, but boom! You're shut down. You're back into it. That's that's one of our big things here. Um, but right now, we are restaurants are open, uh, bars are open, but you cannot have bar service. Like you have to be seated. At, a, at right. an establishment, you can't be all standing by the bar, breathing over each other, yelling at the bartender for drinks and stuff. Um, and every state is different here in Germany. There's slight differences on these. Re- um, so it's not being managed at
1: the federal level? It's, it's no. It's devolved down.
0: Germany is very reluctant to do things from the from the top down for right. obvious historical reasons. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to do that again. Um, so their whole system is very much, very, um, decentralized. So the health system and these regulations as well, it's, 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 it's up to, there is a federal plan and, and, you know, every, so whatever time, once a month, two weeks, I don't know how often they meet, but all the heads of the States meet with, uh, Angola and they develop a plan. Uh, and there's certain things that are nationwide, but, it's a lot of it is still up to the state. So there's there's variation in in what each state is doing. For example, we had one state, Thuringia, that wanted to just like screw it. You know what? We don't even think this is a big deal anymore. We're just gonna open up everything. No social distancing, no masks, forget about it. This this we're not it's done. It's over. And the federal government had to come in and be like, don't do that. And all of its neighbors all of the neighboring states and it's like right in the middle of Germany. So it touches a lot of them. We're just like, come on, man, don't do that. (laughs) That's not a good idea. Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, basically restaurants are open. We can travel around Germany. Um, they've released border restrictions, I think in all of the continental Europe, mostly, mostly the Schengen zone for sure, which is like these are the sort of Northern European countries are part of the Schengen region. Um, so you't you no longer need a reason to cross the border. So you can people can come into Germany, people can go out of Germany into these other countries and you won't need a, you don't need a reason you won't get stopped at the border. Uh, and as far as I know, there's no mandatory self quarantine when you come back. Um, there's still no air travel to Spain. Uh, that's going to change in the next two weeks, I think July 1st. That'll resume again, and air travel is still not as is not as open as other travel. Uh, but like I get back to the sort of day-to-day things, uh, all the shops are open, uh, non-essential businesses are open, but you have to maintain social distancing. You have to wear a mask in all public uh, indoor locations. So on the transit, on the train, right, yeah. in a restaurant, in a restaurant, you it's until you sit down. When you're at your table, you obviously take it off because you got (laughs) to eat, you know. Um, But if you get up and move around the restaurant, you're supposed to put your mask on, uh, shops, all that stuff. And there's limits on uh, how many people can be in certain shops. So people are limiting how many people can go in at a time because they want to maintain this 1.5 meters distance. Um, So I've heard on some popular podcasts that are, you know, one of the most popular podcasts in the world, the joe rogan podcast they were him and another guy were laughing at this like well why do i gotta wear a mask when i go into the restaurant but when i sit down i can't you know like this doesn't make sense and it's like i get that a lot of these things don't make sense but you're just trying to minimize
1: yeah that's exactly
0: it you're, probability. Minimizing the risk. you're just yeah. minimizing probability and the mask thing yeah the authorities said masks aren't going to do anything at the beginning and now we're finding out otherwise they fucked that one up, but you know what? We just didn't know. So, like, let's give them give a break. These are still experts. They're still disease experts, and this is just a brand new thing that we're learning about. So things are going to change. Yeah, as the data Don't...
1: comes in, it evolves. So it's interesting. I know we talked about this before. So it's interesting that in Germany it's one point five meters. So in the UK, it's two meters. Yeah. Um, I know the WHO have said one meter. Which again seems arbitrary, right? Like so yes, yeah, so there's been a, a lot of pushback in the UK the last week or so to reduce that two meter down to one meter. Um, primarily because they reopened non-essential shops on um, the 15th of June. Um, but a lot of shops said, you know, with the social distancing measures, they either they can't open or it's not worth them opening because they just wouldn't get the footfall through the door. So there's been there's been a push to move to one meter because of the WHO guidelines saying one meter. Um, But it's interesting obviously here in the science, and it comes down to risk. They're saying, yeah, one meter, you know, the risk is X amount. But when you take it to two meters, then exponentially that risk comes down even more. And then you said about sneezing, or potentially some of those droplets are going three meters, but three meters potentially is just totally unworkable. So it is all just a matter of managing risk, be that washing your hands, wearing a face mask, you know, when a pastor arrives, leaving it in in the sunlight for 24 hours to to kill off the virus, whatever. And it's
0: going to seem arbitrary. Some of them are going to seem arbitrary and they're going to seem stupid. But you're basically, especially too when you're trying to like, you know, or you're going to see distinctions between, well, this is a nightclub versus a restaurant versus a cafe versus, you know, but you're trying to make these blanket restrictions for a totally nuanced thing, you know, society, a lot of nuances going on there. But you're just trying to make, you know, cover as many bases as you can to reduce the amount of, you know, breath in the air, right? Like, and that you're right. walking through. Because this was the other thing that the the New York Times uh, reporter was talking about is that in terms of um, transmission, we're talking about now, we were talking about droplets at the beginning. And that's still a thing. So, you know, when you're sneezing, coughing, that kind of thing, droplets. But now they're also looking at that there's it's 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 less than that so even just when we're talking normally we're producing this mist that we can't see everybody's doing it all the time it's gross when you think about it we're all just misting on each other but this mist they've now found can hold viral particles and it can last in the air for like two to three hours you know so this is why wearing a mask is it cuts down on that level of mist that's potentially infectious in the air maybe that changes and we realize that's not the case or whatever but this is the current data so it's like this is why mask wearing is important this is also why um indoor gatherings where there's no breeze that's that's circulating the air is a big thing so being outside might not be that big of a risk especially if you're spaced apart and and there's uv sunlight around and yeah and uh surface transmission may not be as big of a thing as we once thought i mean still wash your hands do all that stuff but that is appearing to be less of a route than these airborne routes so that's what these restrictions these you know as we open up these things are you know it may sound silly oh you can do this but you can't do this well what the fuck you know that doesn't make sense i can go to a restaurant but i can't go to the bar like what's just trying to avoid certain situations and like i said it's not going to be perfect it's you're trying to implement a situation that's the best fit for all situations. Yeah. And it's, yeah.
1: Well, and also it's, it's a new city, you know, nobody in our lifetime has gone through this. So, you know, I, it's very easy to criticize governments and whatever for their actions, but they're going through it for the first time as well. Yeah. And on a, you know, on a mass scale of, you know, if we screw this up, you know, we're not only losing voters we are losing the entire population. So, you know, the, it's been interesting watching because this week, as I said, non-essential shops um, were allowed to reopen. Um, there's t- then the next wave is in two weeks' time, like start of July. That potentially then they've talked about maybe cafes and restaurants could open. So at the moment they can open, but you can't eat or drink inside. You can go in,
0: pick up your social
1: distance, pick up food and come out. But there's talk of that being the next wave, and then potentially hairdressers maybe two weeks after that because obviously there's physical contact, and how do they then manage that? Um, So it seems to be, I guess they're trying to learn as they go along, aren't they? So they could very easily just say, okay, well, lockdown's over, everyone go about their business, socially distance, and good luck to you, wear a face mask. But then you, I also wonder whether there is a bit of an experiment going on of, okay, right, we'll, we'll ease it in, in steps. So, right, non-essential shops can open, but not ones with physical contact or enclosed spaces and people inside eating and drinking. And let's see what happens to the infection rate and the R number and let's measure it. And then two weeks later, right, okay, well, we've got two weeks of data. Let's go to the next stage. Oh, no, hold on. We have to pause it. So I, I do think there is a little bit of, learning on the fly as we as we go with this because it's just an unprecedented Mm -hmm. situation
0: 100 and i think that's exactly it and that's why i keep saying to people too it's like it could change at any moment it could change you know uh infections in germany per day new cases per day i think are hovering around 300 but you know, they had a uh, an outbreak in one city. Good thing in in one apartment block where it was like seventy people tested positive, and one and they were thinking about shutting down the whole city. You know, so it's like that's this is this is where we're at. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, it's great. I've I've when they opened up, I was reluctant. I felt, you know scared a little bit going out the first time, but also I was like right on board to do it. I was like, I want to go out. I want to do this. I want to, you know, sit in the beer garden and see people not on a screen and hang out. And the, you know, but it was, it was, yeah, it was a little bit of a, you know, I left the beer garden that night and was talking with my lovely white wife, Teresa on the way back being like, is this, is this right? Like, should we, you it's... know, are." and we both kind of said like, yeah, it's okay. We're, we're, you know, it's risk. You're, there's a risk to everything and we're managing the risk and society appears to be managing the risk. I mean, we went, we've now gone to another city in Germany for a weekend and right. they didn't seem to be as good with the mask wearing as our city. So, you know, there's different <laughs> things that are going to be going on. Um, but I think the thing is just to not be complacent. It's like you can, stretch your boundaries, do some things. We have some new data. We know what's going to, you know, we know what better, what the risks are. We have better systems in place to hopefully trace and test. And I mean, that's the other thing is like, how confident do you feel in your country's precautions? Like I said, just going from one city in Germany to another, you feel like, well, these people are taking it more seriously than these people, but nationally, you know, or the general guidelines of what is allowed and what isn't allowed minus the little nuances between the states i feel pretty okay with this and everywhere you go anytime you go to a restaurant or a bar here in germany you have to sign up you have to sign in basically it's like a paper oh, really? a paper sign in sheet where you have to give your address and your phone number so they know you've been there and what time okay. you were there who you were with that kind of thing, and this is interesting when it comes to the you know the, the apps and stuff and the data privacy we thing. We're thinking Germany's notorious for paper bureaucracy. Like you, everyone always all the expats here bitch about how it's like why don't they do things digitally? They still pay with cash, and you go deal with the government. And it's a binder full of paper, and nothing's digital, and it's it's brutal on most cases. But this is one case where I think well maybe it's kind of good because it's like no one can like just with an algorithm data scrape all the phone numbers, you know, because if you wanna data scrape this, you gotta be flipping through every single sheet of paper and it's just not gonna work. And they probably have the infrastructure to deal with this because they're so used to dealing with paper and the paper will just get shredded after four weeks. I mean, you can say that about the databases too. Oh, we're just gonna wipe the databases after four, you know, but like I said, it's much harder to, if you wanna be nefarious with the data, to do it when it's paper when it's an arcade paper. okay
1: yeah and i hadn't i hadn't realized germany were doing that yeah i think that's an interesting because it makes I, me I think feel, it feel better that, yeah i think the and it's it's funny isn't it? i think since you and i've started doing these podcasts i've become more aware of the big brother situation and how easy it is for the data to be taken and used or manipulated and you know i know we've talked about like the facial recognition and you know robotics in warfare and stuff and you know, the more data that's out there, the more at risk people are. So, uh, so for me, I you know, I never was a big skeptic, and I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic now, but I'm very like I've not downloaded the app, and I'm very conscious about actually will I or not. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a thought. It is, it is a thought. Whereas I speak to some other people who are like, well, why wouldn't you download the app if it's going to save lives and and that's you know, a point stop the of the disease And that's a total point. And I'm like, I can't can't argue against it. And I'm not saying I won't download the app. I'm just saying, before I jump in with both feet, I just want to see how it's going to pan out and how they're going to manage it. But I I think, yeah, I think for Restaurants Truck and Trace, as I said, a friend of mine um, 10 days ago um, woke up. I'd seen him the day before. And it's funny, he, he... he's got two daughters who are really on that on him all oh, you know brad's coming over right you dad you have to socially distance from him you know no. so i i went and had a cup of tea and sat in his garden you know two definitely two meters apart and there was no contact um and then the next day he texts me going you know mate I, you know i need to warn you i've woken up this morning with a cough and i've just been for a test i don't have a temperature you know i think it's hay fever related um but you know i need to let you know so then i'm like well hold on who have i come into contact with yeah. so you know, I'd, that evening I'd been out for a walk and bumped into a couple of friends. So I messaged them say, Hey, just to warn you, you know, I'm going to self isolate a little bit for the moment, you know, just to warn you, like, oh, okay, thanks for that. But then it's like, well, I, I, you're right. I can't contact the, you know, I'd gone to the grocery store. I can't yeah. contact everyone there. And that's where the app would come into play, yeah. obviously. Um, fortunately, because of this clinical trial I was involved with, you know, I got to go for a test the next day, I was negative, my friend his symptoms cleared up it was hay fever related yeah um or even chest chest infection related fine but it it's it's that one spark that lights the tinder that then mm-hmm. takes the place down and, and how do you trace that but i think you're you're right like this week with the shops opening here i've not yesterday actually i've ventured into to like a non essential shop i guess just to go and look for something and it felt really odd it felt really odd going to shop I felt quite nervous about going into the shop um, and then just seeing other people, you know, the number of people on the streets has definitely increased. Um, and then just very nervous about being round, round people, and it's such an odd sensation now to be nervous. And I'm not of an anxious disposition, but I, you know, I know friends that do suffer from anxiety. And I think when lockdown is fully lifted, I, I, I wonder if they will ever return back to the old normal. Cause I think they will always be cautious or anxious until there's a vaccine of being around people which you know it's it's not just the physical effects of the virus it's the psychological effects of this virus that i think are going to be
0: long-reaching yeah well and i mean we haven't even touched on the psychological effects of the people that were stuck indoors you know like how much uh, domestic abuse has gone up or alcoholism or you know all of these things but um that's a whole nother episode right um, right. I will say, having been, you know, feels like we're like a couple of weeks ahead of you guys in terms of opening up, and uh, we definitely here in Germany did not have the deaths that you had in the UK. Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that our testing capacity and contact tracing capacity is a bit better too. Uh, I'm not going to uh, disagree with you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and but so. It feels it gets it gets to be pretty normal, pretty quick, you know, yeah. to get back out and do things. And that's the thing that I, every once in a while I have to take a step and be like, am I getting complacent? Am I being too OK with this? You know, and generally, you know, there's still restrictions on the level, the number of people that you're supposed to meet with and how many households can, right. yeah. you know, yeah. meet so you can meet at a restaurant But at the beginning, it was like, you're only supposed to meet with someone from one other household. Now that's lifting. So it's like, you can kind of meet with 10 other people at a time, regardless of household. And again, that changes per state, what, what those rules really are. Okay. But, you know, this is, you know, so I've kind of, you know, I have my group of friends here in Marburg, uh, that we've regularly hang out, you know, and it's it's roughly about 10 people that i sort of regularly see, but I don't know what they're doing. You know, some of them when they're not with me, you know, so there's always, you know, there's all these things that are there, but it does start to feel normal in terms of, you know, I'm out again, I'm doing things, I'm seeing people and it's fucking great. It's awesome. But what's also become normal is wearing a mask when I go into places and I'm, I gotta say here in Marburg, I feel comfortable with people, the mask wearing, you know, and it felt weird. I felt really self-conscious and this is so stupid to be like, when it's a health thing like this to be like, Oh, I yeah. feel weird. Like I feel stupid wearing this mask, you know, like, Oh, I look like an idiot. And it's like, but the, as soon as I saw everyone else doing it, so there was buy-in from everybody. I was like, okay, you know, it just made me feel comfortable, so I don't even think about it anymore. I just throw so the thing you, on, and
1: is it a cloth mask you're wearing or a surgical yeah. mask or what? Right? Yeah,
0: props to my mom. She sent me, she sent me and Teresa sewn mask that she made with maple leaves, Canadian maple. Leaf. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> It's, it's, so funny. I... it's kind of dorky because as Canadians, that's what well, we always do in that. Oh, hey, look, it's the leaf <laughs> But it's great. Thank you, mom. I love the mask. It's awesome because it's you just flip it on, and I actually I like it better than the medical looking one. When you see someone with a wow. medical looking one, it, you're like, ooh, they're infected, you know. But okay, it's like well, I Say, I, I've got I've got the medical one, so I was gonna say, hey, mom, if you want to sew me
1: one, I don't have a cloth one. Um, yeah. But yeah it's it's yeah i'm a bit like you because it's funny before this broke out occasionally, especially if you went to london or a big city you'd see some people
0: wearing like surgical face masks yeah usually um, asian people yeah um because there's you know yeah, they're just it's a, part of their culture they that's do part it. of their culture yeah. yeah
1: um but i think because it's still or it has been so unusual up until the whole coronavirus thing people always a bit like you said oh maybe these people are infected you know or oh. um you know and back away a little bit and then the last couple of weeks, I've um, had to go out to I'm buying new bits of furniture. So I've been, you know, I've put some stuff off of eBay. So I've had to go to somebody's house to go and pick something up. And that is a very weird experience now because you sort of get there and knock on the door. I stand, you know, two meters back from the door when they open the door and, hi, I'm Brad. I come to pick up the table or whatever I've bought. Um, and what I usually do is I usually take the surgical face mask with me. And I'm like, you know, would you like me to mask on. wear this yeah. yeah because I think if you just rock up with a face mask on it looks a little bit scary on the on the doorstep yeah, so, yeah. and it's it's interesting the mix but most people have said no that's fine or other people say oh it's up to you when they said it's up to you I'd tend to done it yeah put it on but you're right I feel very self-conscious wearing yeah. it it's it's odd but actually you know they're talking here now if you're on public transport you have to wear a face mask yeah. so um I'm gonna you know actually I was gonna order one this week a cloth one. And I said, but I I am going to have to get over that the stigma or the the embarrassment of wearing
0: it. And I mean, better when everybody does it, because like I said, like, I'm glad that there was buy-in in in our city because it's like, it made, it made it more comfortable for everybody. Now it's just the thing, you know, and I don't wear it if I'm just walking on the sidewalk, you know, but it's in any shop. I'm wearing that. If I go into a restaurant before I'm seated, I wear it. If I get up from my table to go to the bathroom, I wear it, you know, and everybody's doing it. There's very few people, there's always a few scumbags that don't, but now they look like the ones that are, you know, the scumbags, the old ones. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's it, you know, it makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel more comfortable to go out. And, you know, this is the thing. It, it, get going out was weird at first, got got used to it. The new restrictions weird at first got used to, them, you know, signing in everywhere I go, you know, wearing a mask, all these things. And so I'm, you know, you just you, you, you go with it. This is what the ex- experts are telling us is we can do. Don't get complacent, but enjoy the freedoms that are given. <laughs> you know, this is kind of what I'm looking at it as. Uh, and you know it's going to change. It's going to change with the new data as as it comes forward. But uh, you know, travel is still. I don't know about international travel, but within Germany, you know, I feel pretty comfortable with it. And it's a, it's really a matter of you know how comfortable you are with your country. Can they can they accurately test who's got it and find cases, uh, uh, and yeah. where are your case now? Are are your cases rising or falling? In Germany, they've, they've gone up, as you would expect. Opened up a bit, they've gone up. Yeah, gone up, yeah. It's it's what it is, you know, but we're not at the level that we were in terms of going up, and hopefully it'll, you know, we'll see little ebbs and flows and stuff of that, but it's really up to everybody just to not be complacent and continue doing these things. It's like you're, we're allowed to leave the house, so the least you could do is wear a mask and sort of, you know, maybe not... To, you know all hang out in one house where you are all breathing the same air right, and i exactly, think that's yeah. what we're finding is that it's these these places i'm surprised that churches are open to be honest you know that's a place where you know you're inside everybody's singing talking that's like a real big you know nightclubs obviously aren't open restaurants you know, everyone's trying to sit outside as much as possible now. But I've definitely been in a few, a one at least, where I was like, "Oh, not a lot of ventilation in here." But you know, wear a mask when you can. I don't know, managing risk. It's weird. It's weird. We're moving into a weird other phase. But I think the message is like, don't get complacent. But well, we, and I, we can push when, the I, boundary a little bit. You know,
1: right? Exactly. And it, it's been interesting here watching the R number. Change and I know obviously in the last our 50th episode, we talked about our number. Um, but it's interesting seeing it change in areas that were really low beforehand. So, the area that's had the biggest spike in our number is actually the southwest of the UK, which is a big tourist spot. So, actually, since they've started lifting restrictions on where you can have six people in a group and you can socially bubble with another house, it's interesting to see that it's the southwest, the R number started to go up. And also, a part up in the north, which is a bit of a tourist destination as well, where people are obviously traveling yeah. more now and bringing the virus with them. So, and I know you know the phrase the new normal, and I, I, I every time I say it now, I kind of cringe because, oh, it's the new normal. Yeah. Because um, I think it's overused, but it, it really sums up what it's going to be. I, you know, I don't think this is going to be a quick fix. Um, most of my colleagues that are office based have been told they won't be in the office this year. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be able to go in for essential stuff on and off, but they'll basically have to log before they go in to make sure there's not more than however many people in the office at one time. And it's going to be, this is going to change the, the way the earth works, but what it already has and it will continue to do so I think for a a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and, you know, like we can't, everyone can't stay in lockdown forever. That's the thing, you know, Exactly. It's a lot of capitalism has to take over and we, you know, capitalism human interaction you know like there's all of these things right you know like the number of suicides that have gone up in places during lockdown i'm i'm sure is is in certain places yeah it's yeah and you got to find that balance right and so that's where we're at you know it's managing your risk managing your personal risk managing society's risk and if we can get testing in place if we can get contact tracing in place you can mitigate that so there will still be bumps in the road, and people are still going to die from this disease, but it doesn't have to be hundreds of 1000s, it doesn't have to be, you know, hopefully, and the big thing that we need to to look for is in the fall, second wave, this is what the public health right. officials yeah. are thinking now. And again, from this New York Times thing that I was listening to, um, obviously, different viruses, different situations, different periods of time with different, um, you know, health measures and stuff like this. But they were one scientist was looking back at influenza epidemics for the past five big ones or something like this. So 1918, obviously, we know that. Um, But other ones, too, not just that one. The first fall of the of the epidemic is was, you know, accounted for a huge number of deaths. So. As we move into fall, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We need to think about and that's what this summer should be is about getting contact trace. If we have a reprieve in the summer, getting contact tracing, getting testing in place, and making sure that we don't get complacent. Because if you have a ton of new cases, right before the weather turns bad and everyone has to go back and everyone line, goes back indoors, Exactly then, that. Yeah. you know, then you're just you're, you know, we're just you could just be piling on the tinder, and then lighting the bonfire. But if we spread yeah. out that tinder, and you know, over the summer, and we're not so but it's difficult, man, it's really difficult. Like I said, you know, it's it was weird to go outside at the first, but I was also just like, I'm, I want to be out here, I got to, you know, so I don't begrudge anyone that you know, is out there and wanting to do things and stuff. We just don't get complacent. You know, wear your mask. You might feel like an idiot, but do it. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> don't be. A I dick. think we've been on that. Well, um, it's funny. Government should just use that message: don't be a dick. Yeah. Would, you know, but you know, trouble is, if people weren't dicks, then you know, the world would be a better place. And the world's not a better place because people are dicks. It's a vicious cycle. Here we go, you, know, you always have to work to the lowest common denominator. So, shall I summarize where we've been sure. on this journey? We've, I today? feel like I've rambled enough. Wow! Well, so, obviously, you know, Ebola, it's on potentially on its way back. We'll keep an eye on it, we'll keep the listeners updated. Um, yeah, it'll be an interesting one to to watch. Obviously, then, uh, coronavirus. So, uh, one is a positive, not a positive flash, one it's a false positive, of course. So, we've, we've talked about testing Correct. and the impact that that has and needs to have for us to to get control of this virus. Um, and I think when all this is over, if nothing else, then you may have inspired a new nursery rhyme about <laughs> coronavirus and testing. But um, so we should patent the rights to that because that could be a real moneymaker. That's right. That could be it could be ticket. the new ring around the rosy. It could be. So uh, yeah, let's see how that goes from there. Um, as always, listeners, we do this for you. Um, we had a great response to the 50th episode, both before in terms of people sending stuff and i've i've had you know positive comments afterwards which is always nice to hear keep your negative comments to yourself um i would say if you want to reach out to the show you can do so on most of the social media platforms so on twitter at Two for you on instagram at Two for you if you want to hit me up directly at bradley w hayes on twitter uh flash if they want to touch you up in any way
0: shape or form Ooh touch wear a glove wear a mask and <laughs> at Be paired on on all the social platforms uh so... website for the show to brad for one of these days i'll get an official website and remove that wordpress yeah, so we don't right, seem yeah. so amateur
1: well you know we we may look amateur you know on that website but obviously once people listen to us they
0: can see that we truly are right
1: really amateurish and so
0: until people start donating to the show yeah i can not afford
1: right exactly things. you know if <laughs> listeners can hear the violin if you can just feed the violins in that flash on yeah. production just to really ebb that story along that'd be perfect yeah wow. um flash as always it's been uh, a pleasure and not a chore uh, the time always seems to fly by when we do these things so thank you and actually we should say to listeners um we potentially might be in the future putting out a bit of a video cast of some of these as well so you can see Depends on a few of the technicalities. Flash has got to work through that. Mm-hmm. We're doing mm-hmm. some pilot work at the moment. And we're going to look at the so budget actually...
0: again.
1: Well, yeah, we're always looking at those budget numbers. Um, but, it, uh, yeah, listeners, you may, you may not be listeners. You may be viewers as well as listeners potentially in the future. Um, listeners, don't be complacent. Stay safe. Follow the advice that's been given. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Social distance. Um, because we can't afford to lose any of you. We've said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, Flash, anything you want to say before we press the end on this and
0: no that's go it go for it stay safe everyone enjoy point. the enjoy your being able to get out when you can uh see your family see your loved ones and yeah
1: thanks for listening everyone. cheers And then let's have a conversation and see what happens
0: and where it goes. And okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Because I could see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that probably makes more sense. Never mind. Forget what I was thinking, and forget all that shit I said about me being a professional. Because clearly, <laughs> I never believed that for a second. <laughs> it's out the window now. Oh, I also joined a. Uh, there was a uh... swinging club. Uh yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome to Germany
0: done that yeah that's i mean you have to when you as soon as you get your visa here right i thought so, so just part of it yeah it's mandatory you have to at least try it and then you can be like this is
1: not for me yeah <laughs> what in but we try austrian it.
0: yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> it's a bavarian thing <laughs>